Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned that the following podcast contains names of and references to deceased people. Welcome. You're listening to the Bush Wanderlust podcast with hosts Ali Smith and Katie Watson. Buckle in as these two birds from the bush take you on a road trip. Around the Narrabri region in northwest New South Wales. Ali and Katie will introduce you to the lovable locals. Just call him and enjoy yourself. Cheers. Cheers. And explore all the magnificent wonders right here in Australia's backyard. They're just a fascinating animal, you know. Who would put a pink slug on top of a mountain? As the locals say, just you, five million stars, a mountain range and a yowie. It's time to hit the road. I believe education is a good thing because without an education out there, you know, you don't go anywhere. So believe in yourself. Uh, Life is not miracles, but you can make them happen if you make the right choices. Hello and welcome. Today, Katie and I have headed west to Weewar to meet one of the Narrabri region's favourite couples, Helen and Bert Wenner. Their love story will quite simply make your heart sing. It sure will. Helen is a proud Gamilaroi woman and an inspiration to many students in her role as the Aboriginal Education Officer at Weewar High School. Growing up, Helen spent part of her childhood at a place not too far from here called Tulladunna Reserve and visitors are welcome to go there for knowledge sharing days. There's also a bit of a foreign twist to the Wenner's love story. Helen's husband Bert is originally from Germany and like many others, his family moved to the district in search of work opportunities in our thriving agricultural sector. In fact, Bert's worked on the same farm just outside of Weewar for more than 40 years now, making our food and fibre. In some ways, Helen and Bert might seem like a bit of an unlikely match, but as you're about to hear, their bond is unbreakable. As parents, the Wenners have had to endure the unimaginable pain of losing a child. Their eldest son tragically died in a drowning accident when he was just three years old. But together, Helen and Bert somehow found a way to cope and have stuck together through thick and thin. Despite everything they've gone through, the Wenners are incredibly positive people and are now also super proud and loving grandparents. We'd like to start today's interview by handing over to Helen for a very special acknowledgement to country. Yama, my name's Helen Wenner. I'm a proud Gamilaroi woman. I'd like to introduce our beautiful Indigenous songbirds to perform the acknowledgement to country in song, in language. So just sit back and relax.
thank you and welcome to the Bush Wanderlust podcast, Helen and Bert. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. First up, I want to ask you about the Indigenous songbirds and the truly wonderful group of We Will High School students that you so proudly sing with. What inspired you to get those girls to perform? How it came about was um, we were invited to a language camp at Lake Heapit and this young girl was singing the um, acknowledgement the country and language. Now, when I heard it, it just made me feel so proud as an Aboriginal person that something could come out, you know, so real in the words that is said in it. Relating to the words in it was it's all about um, ancestors, our ancestors before us and how much they thrived on our land and how they made us respect one another and also us respecting elders and that's what an acknowledgement to country is, is to acknowledge that we are on land, on country and there were people here before. And when I heard it, I'm thinking to myself, I want my kids to learn that. So I said, I, I don't think I'll be as good as that young one who was at the Lake Keep It, but we're going to have a go at it. So we practised and practised till we got it together. But I feel that with girls, they just didn't feel comfortable doing it by themselves. So they wanted only Helen to be part of it. So I was in there as a comfort for them. And it made me so proud, you know, that our girls can sort of sit there and take something on that was so out of their league. They were so respectful. You are a proud Gamilaroi woman. Yep. And spent part of your childhood living in a tent under a tree at a place called Tulladunna. Whereas, Bert, you were born in Germany and lived there until your high school years. Some would say growing up worlds apart. But did you ever think you were a bit of an unlikely pair? That's a good question. Yeah, I think so because um, I'll explain. When I went to school, Bert was actually in the year above me and I didn't know him for a bar of soap. Just talking before, um, just little memories, my brothers used to play soccer with him, you know. And to this day, I just believe that he's a, a nice bloke to settle down with. And I, I don't think I could look back, honestly. Yeah, when I'd come to Weevil, um, Weevil didn't have soccer. And that's the only thing I could play, soccer. So I went to the principal, asked him, and he said, if you find enough people to get a team together, we will. So I found, found a whole heap of people, especially Helen's brothers, <laughs> We played soccer and because brothers normally look after their sisters when somebody dates them. And because they knew me, they just went, oh, it's only Bert. <laughs> so it was all fine. <laughs> you passed the test. I passed the test. That's why you got to get the family on side. And when did you meet Helen? It was in an imperial pub and um, she was wearing a Mickey Mouse jumper. <laughs> and I thought that was really good. She must be a funny girl if she wears something like that around the place. <laughs> Helen, you're giggling like a little schoolgirl. <laughs> it's only fair that I ask you, what was your first impression when you met Bert? I believe that he was, a, like, when I first introduced myself to him, he was a nice guy and he sort of came to my house and asked me out there and my, my mum came out and she asked, like, Bert asked her if I can go out with him and she thought he was a fantastic bloke. You don't get many blokes like that who will come to your house and I think from the first time she seen Bert she was 
really respecting of him. And she also sort of mentioned to me that he got a good man there. Your mum was on Team Bert. Mm-hmm. She really appreciated that. Instead of hiding hiding away from everybody and going behind their back, you come to the door and, and ask for the girl to go out with you. And that's how I won Helen's mother over because I, was, I wasn't frightened to go and see the family. That's, that's one thing you've got to do. Yeah, because you're a true gentleman, Bert. That's the way I was raised, yeah. I always be polite. Yeah, when you look at it, we both got different cultures. Um, but I'm happy to understand Bert's culture and he's happy to understand mine. I believe that Bert will always encourage my culture. Helen, can you take us back to your own childhood, living at Tulladunna? And for those of our listeners who don't know what Tulladunna is, can you explain that for us? Uh, Tulladunna is a reserve, an Aboriginal reserve, just, you know, five minutes out of Weewall. I actually lived lived on Tulladunna for for a while in the 70s. Uh, If I go back in memory, it would have been 74, right up to 80. And in that time, it was a struggle. But I mean struggle for my mother and father. Us as kids, we enjoyed ourselves. We loved it down there. Things that we could do where we wasn't allowed to do what adults used to do. So like climbing trees, playing our own games, going swimming, you know. In that too, what we lived in was tents, you know, down at Tulladunna. Tulladunna was a place, a reserve is where every year when there was seasonal work, um, Aboriginal people from different places came down there to do chipping, which is an employment that a lot of Aboriginal people respected, I think, um, to get a bit of money. And most families stayed there, stayed at Tulladunna, but a lot of families went back home to their own country and land. I don't know, it's just um, important to realise that we have a background and that background is for me is that I was, my life growing up was so rich, you know. We didn't have much, but I believe that it was a, a place of um, significance to me where my family shared memories and where I grew up with respect and all that sort of stuff. Um, if we'd done anything wrong... We were in trouble, so, you know, you had them elders checking you. For our listeners that might not be that familiar with cotton, tell me about cotton chipping. What did it involve? (sighs) It was hard labour, I can tell you. (laughs) Like I said about a lot of Aboriginal people came from different places and we had cotton growers within Weewar and they had contractors, you know, that ran the cotton chipping sort of thing and so... My dad had a contract, my like some of my uncles and whatever, with the local people that are at Weewalk. And a part of the chipping was that you had to chip the weeds away from the cotton so it didn't, you know, affect the cotton as much when it grows to its size. So it was constantly eight hours of chipping cotton all day. Not cotton, but the weeds that's next to the cotton. Hard work, Helen. Wasn't no leaning on hose or anything like, you know, we had to be constantly going all the time. So I think that made me a, a better person, you know, that I found something that appealed to me and I never looked back since. So, you know, waking up and being punctual and making sure I'm here on time, I don't like being late and, you know, they're the sort of things that show me what jobs are important to people. Tulladun is also a place now, Helen, where visitors are welcome yep. to go to when you have knowledge sharing days. Yep. 
There's a pretty special tree that I've taken a photo of you underneath Mm -hmm. standing next to the Murray sign. Mm -hmm. Will you tell me a little bit about the signs and the trees at Tulladunna? To me personally, because I'm one of the descendants out of all my family members, which is 12 of us in the family, we lived in a tent just underneath that tree. And, you know, people ask when I would go in there, you know, where did you used to live, Helen? And I pointed that tree straight out. And to me, it's a significant place where people have memories of uh, lifetime experiences growing up. To me, this is my lifetime experience. And in the way of living in a tent, living hard, I think I would say, also having good times down there. To me, it's special for the good times because us kids always done something on Tulladunna. But I think I'm, you know, trying to explain where how important the tent was to us. It's a form of uh, shelter, comfort as family, and also we were all together. We weren't, you know, apart uh, as a family. And then we had our family, you know, families who who live on Tulladunna all around us too. So Tulladunna now is all marked out with um, different names, like Ali said, around it. So if you would like to come down there, you can check out all the different informations of different families in different areas. So the first big tree that you come to, uh, gum tree that is, is where I lived underneath. And it's important to me every day. I do talks down there. Uh, about Tulladunna growing up, sharing. Um, I'd even take my grandkids down there just to, you know, explain to them what the significance of that tree is. You've told me about your memories of the river and the memories of the sky. Mm-hmm. Tell me about them. With the river was a, like in the summertime, it was always a place to hang out like a swimming pool. There was a little um, spot that was a sandy spot, Wacky Wacky Beach. <laughs> That's what's out. Our name for the the river. Us kids always used to hang down there. Our parents used to go down there. Family, other family members, you know, it was just like everybody was there together. The river is one of the important things that, you know, we sort of lived off. The Nemoi River was a source of water for us to drink. Also, my mum used to wash with her hands and we used to have, you know, washing it. It is a big beautiful and natural open space. When you were a child, you said you used to sit down around a fire and look up at the sky. Tell me what you saw. Yeah, at night times um, my mum and dad used to tell stories to us, like share stories, some good and some scary. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I remember one night my dad um, sort of got our attention to the sky and how important the stars are to us as Aboriginal people and the importance of what stars mean and how they, you know, relate to us as Aboriginal people. But the importance of the stars to my father was it gave him a sense of understanding of the great Milky Way that's in the sky. There's a emu frame that's sort of set in that Milky Way. It tells you when the emu's eggs are ready to go and collect and then when they're not to be touched. So the emu sits a different sort of way within the sky and all the blokes understand the, the meaning for that, the time to go and get emu eggs and time not to touch them. 
Can you tell us a little bit about hunting for traditional foods and things? Is that something that... Yeah, I didn't have much to do with that. It was more my brothers and my dad's things, but I did see, you know, as a child you sit around at, around a campfire and you experience different things. And um, my dad, how he um, used to prepare the porcupine and the goanna in the way of cooking it in, in underneath the hot coals. and So, you know, like... Traditional food for us was mainly animals that were, you know, sort of around. Helen, can I ask what porcupine tastes like and is it difficult to eat? What does it sound like? Pork! (laughs) Does it taste like pork? It does taste like pork. Um, Cooked the right way and you don't eat the prickles. You know when you do a pork, like when you kill a pig, you got to take all that hard hair off. That's what it's like with the porcupine. So I remember one time my dad um, also had a, a quinine tree plant that he used to boil as a remedy for our boils and cold sores that we had. Wow, so like a bush medicine. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Um, we used to um, bathe in that if we had cold sores or, you know, school sores or boils or anything like that. So, you know, that's part of some of the bush medicine sort of stuff that we've done. Like, I don't know whether you understand there's people talk about the circle, the um, yarning circle sort of thing, and how Pacific that means to Aboriginal people. That's where we sit at a fire and we, you know, just sit there and have a feed and do all the stuff that people do around the fire. You know, we we never had a table. I remember one time I went out chipping, done my... um, few weeks of chipping and we never had knives and forks of such to use so in the local store uptown um, I seen this nice cutlery set on the shelf I'm thinking oh I might you know buy that cutlery set for my mum one day so I got my first week of pay and I got the cutlery set gave it to my mum and she started crying it's something that you know she never thought she would have as a luxury sort of thing and when I tell that story, I always break in the tears. She was my inspiration, uh, my rock. We shared a lot of stuff together, me and my mum. That is a beautiful story, Helen. You've told me that. That's what you spent your first pay packet on. And to me, that shows me your great work ethic. I want to chat to you a little bit about that because you were admittedly a bit of a cheeky kid. Yeah. <laughs> You've gone from being a bit of a cheeky kid to being a role model at Wee High School. Mm-hmm. Tell me about, I guess, putting on, because you do wear a uniform, yep. putting on that uniform and going to school and working. How important is that to you? Sort of talked about how important the river is to us. Now, I, I never said this to Al before, but I, um, I had a little memory back just um, on uniforms and how important they are as, as family. Now, with the river water, I seen my mum, you know, wash uniforms and made sure they're clean every day on the clothesline for us to go to school. And to me, she always sort of said, uniforms are so important. It tells you that you have a sense of belonging to something that you never had before that was so important. So to me, my uniform is my own incentive I've done for myself. I get my uniform made and wear it proudly every day just to show that, you know, our kids can learn 
by being belong to something also in school. It's a proud moment, I think, and I feel proud wearing it. Your first job, was that cotton shipping? Yep. Unfortunately, they didn't have uniforms there. (laughs) How old were you when you started? Like, I remember I started cotton shipping when I was 14. And only because the reason behind that is to help family with organising money and going out and doing something physical for the day. I think I went out with my dad for the first time and he explained to me what I was supposed to do and how I do it. But if I'd done anything wrong, he would pull me back on the straight and narrow and made us do it right. So I must say my dad sort of led me down that way of working ethic sort of thing. And also mum followed it up with, you know, you've got to go to work to provide for yourself. Yesterday when we were sitting in your house, you pointed at a number of things that you called material things, a stove, a washing machine. Tell me how proud you are to have achieved what you've achieved. Growing up at Talladana was a fond memory for me, but now that I've worked so hard and got what I needed, you know, for myself as a, a form of luxury, you'd say, to be proud of, well, we never had that chance down at Tunnadunna. You know, I, I wished I could have brought a washing machine for my mum. I wished I could have had a fridge for her, you know, all these sort of things so she wouldn't struggle. And my family have struggled for a long time before, you know, us kids sort of grew up and got work. And to me, it makes me proud. I know they're only material things, but they're things that I never had. So I worked really hard and my mum pushed me to do that. I think you should be super happy with your achievements. And before we move on to your love story, which I love, what you are doing with your life and your attitude to life, Mm -hmm. I think really is so positive for the younger students that you work with, not just the Aboriginal students, but everybody. everybody. Tell me about what's your message, I guess, for that younger generation? Mm, I would say, you know, believe in yourself. Uh, Life is not miracles, but you can make them happen if you make the right choices by going down the track of, you know, education. I, I believe education is a good thing because without an education out there, you know, you don't go anywhere. So for all the kids who are listening out there, I would encourage you to, to get as much as education as you can for any kid, not just Indigenous kids. Work hard because that's what I've done, you know. I didn't have a certificate when I finished school. I kept on going until I got it. And I had set goals for myself. I remember when I got my first job with the school, I'd done cotton chipping. I worked in the Milevale Gin for 11 years on night shift. And then the job came up at the high school. I went for that. And one of the things when I got that job, I thought to myself, I need some kind of acknowledgement that I belong here and also... I know how to do my job and a certificate of such. So I've got a certificate three in Aboriginal education, which I've done at TAFE and Maury. 2019, I've done certificate one and two in language. And one of the biggest one, I think, is one of the big goals I got was um, a diploma in Aboriginal studies. So don't believe that you, you can't do anything. You can do it if you put your mind to it. Set goals. I never knew what goals were until I started doing professional learning in my job. So goals are little steps that you take. You can achieve them. After a while, you'll see the outcomes of that. 
Congratulations, Helen, because that's a huge success story and an inspiration to not just Indigenous students, but all of our country kids in our region. Now, we might put a focus on Bert now. You've been sitting there so quietly and patiently. Helen's told us a lot about her story and about the cotton industry and what effect that had on her life. But she, you're, she origin- got me <laughs> you're originally from Germany. Yes. What brought you to Australia and specifically We War? 1974, Germany won the World Cup in soccer. It was the greatest year ever. <laughs> what else happened in the, that year? We come to Australia. In April, 14th of April, 1974, my father was a chemical engineer at um, a chemical factory in Germany. He's supposed to get transferred to Melbourne, but he ended up in Sydney. So there was no, no chemical factory in Sydney. He worked at, in a car factory down in Sydney. Um, he met a German bloke down, down there, and he, he was working on a farm. White Acres in Weewell, and that that and mum and my brothers and went up to we come up here to have a look, see what it's like, and uh, that decided then he wanted to work on a farm. So that's how how we end up up here. Your dad saw the opportunity here. Yeah, like everything was a lot cheaper than in Europe. That that's why a lot of Europeans come to Australia, and more opportunity. Um, in jobs and stuff like that, yeah. That's what lucky country means, yeah. And the great town of Weewar is where you both decided to stay and to settle as a married couple. But, Bert, you did have to put in the hard yards. Can I ask one of you to share the story from your first date? <laughs> oh, my God. My first um, outing was to the drive in the Narrabri and I got a lot of sisters. So Bert asked me out and... And I said, only if I can take my sisters with me. So in the car, all the kids jumped in. All my sisters came to the drive and we that's the first event we had out together. So <laughs> You brought your family with you on the first date. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, I think it was um, village people. Was it village people? Yeah, village people. YMCA, um, where they sung YMCA. And the whole family got amongst it. Mm. It's romantic. Very <laughs> You played hard to get for quite a while, Helen. Mm-hmm. Quite a number of girls hang out waiting for a proposal, mm-hmm. but you were the opposite. How many times did Bert ask you to marry him? Uh, I think I'll put several because I can't count on my finger how many times he asked me. Bert signalling with his hands. Yeah, anyway, he kept asking and asking and asking, and I always said to him, Bert, you know, all it is when you get married is a piece of paper and I don't need to have a piece of paper to say that, you know, I, I'm married to you. We're already been together since I was 19, you know, for such and such a long time. So I um, went to a friend's party where all the girls were sort of hanging out with one another and one of the girls sort of spoke out and said, oh, we should have a wedding, a double wedding. And then I said, what do you mean a wedding? I already told Bert, you know, it's just a piece of paper. And they said, we should have a double wedding because two of you girls that are in amongst us are not married. And I said, what difference does that make? And, you know, it just went on from there. So I go home and I say to Bert, oh, we're going to get married. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was hoping he'd say, like, I thought he might say no because he's asked me that many times. And then it happened <laughs> in 94. Well, I, I gave her the same question what she gave me all the time. It's only a piece of paper. <laughs> what do you want to get married for? <laughs> you gave her some of her own medicine. <laughs> <laughs> and now you've recently celebrated your 25th yep. year of marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Congratulations. Um with that, we we were together since forty years. Forty years, we you know sort of. I was nineteen, and Bert was twenty. No, then. Yeah. Oh. Nineteen, twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't jump in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that, that's how the marriage works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've been together that long, but um, been married for twenty five years legally. Ninety four, I think we got married. In November the twelfth, you don't supposed to think you got married in ninety four. Yeah. You're supposed to say oh, I'm on the twelfth of eleventh ninety four. That's okay because I was just trying to think about how many years I've been married as well, and I'm a baby in comparison. I think this year my husband and I will be celebrating our sixth wedding anniversary. Oh, that's a good achievement. So too. I guess I want to know from you too. What is the secret to the success of your partnership? If something gets hard, don't just give up. Always, there's always a way out, and um, you can work it out. Uh, like in every relationship, you always have have got problems because you got problems doesn't mean that you go each other's way. You're still married. You still got to work it out. You stick together and stick together. Yeah, mm. that's lovely. Like like it says, through a thick and the thin. So. What would your advice be to blokes that are looking at, at courting a woman? Don't worry about the father-in-law. Always worry about the mother-in-law. Get your mother-in-law on side. And once you've got her, everything falls in place because the father is going to be under the mother's thumb anyway. <laughs> so it's, it's all good. So you, you win the mother over. And you obviously did that. Yeah, I did. I did. Helen, what's your secret? I think being understanding. Like, I think the secret is, for me, I've got my job, Bert's got his job. We're not together constantly every day. Even when we first started going together, we kept ourselves, you know, opposite one another. But we came home and we're together. It's like my family down at Taladana, you know, we were there all the time. I would say, too, what Bert said, don't give up, you know, like, you can work things out in the way of making it best for everybody. The only ones who will know how to to settle that is you yourself. It can be fixed. And Bert's got a shed. Does that help? Yeah. Um, I like to do house cleaning. I like to have my time with my house. So I send him down the back into the shed. <laughs> That's where he does his... Or he'll go down there till I lie. He'll go down there himself and just spend time down there doing his... um. Woodwork. Woodwork and all that sort of stuff, yeah. So it's important to us. It's a 50-50 relationship. You give a bit and you get, get some back. Like you always got to work together. You guys are rock solid as a couple and you still are so happy in each other's yeah. company. Yeah. And I hope you don't mind me asking Helen, we've spoken about it before, about the impact that the loss of your son had on mm. your relationship and how you said it made you and Bert stronger 
as a couple. Are you happy to share a little bit about that? I think it's fair to say that we shared it together. Uh, it was a very hard time for myself and Bert to accept that this has happened to him and how important he was to us, being the first child. And when I had Anthony, I was thought I was on top of the world, you know, like it's just that mother instinct you got. And um, when I lost him that day, I just didn't know what to do with myself or how I can cope with everyday life. And my mum comes back in the picture, you know, the day of the funeral, um, she sort of says, I didn't know where I was or what I was doing or accepting the loss sort of thing. And she said, you have another another son that you've got to raise. So from that day on what my mum said, I just kept that in my head. Um, he's still in my mind. I'll never forget him. It was a hard time for us to go through, but we worked it out as a couple and, you know, we had some rough times, but we worked them out. And also, you know, when things are down, share it with somebody you love, you know, like you feel down in yourself because it, it, it does get you down. It's a big trauma. I can say now I'm thankful I got Bert because he supported me through the hard times and also the good times. And I think, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about my mum being my rock. I think Bert is sort of playing another role there sort of thing. So don't give up. That's all I say, you know, like don't give up on one another. Work through as best you can because it does happen. And I remember when I first um, sort of went counselling, they said, oh, you won't get over it, but you can move on from it. And I never thought then that I couldn't move on. And I believe everybody that I've lost are down, looking down on me on the achievements that I've done. You guys are an amazing couple. It is, and I'm sorry for no, your loss. But okay. You... I, I think the problem is, though, a lot of people don't know one another's story, you know, and this is my story. Um, I believe this makes me stronger if I talk about it and also if I can be some kind of comfort to people who go through the similar things. You know, I'm happy to be there. I know what it's like to lose a child and how important they are to you. I think you're both a very strong couple and, you know, even without any words, I can feel that your friendship and your connection as soon as I met you both. And you're both now grandparents, mm-hmm. have some amazing grandchildren yeah. um, and you have the privilege to share both two very individual and diverse cultures with those grandchildren. Do you want to either of you to tell me a little bit about sharing your culture? I sort of tell them little stories about my life growing up at Tulladunna. One particular grandson, I just want to go down there constantly every day and, you know, just to experience it. And when they look in your eyes, their big brown eyes looking at you, Nan, take me down to Tulladunna or have a look at where you used to live, you know. It just makes you feel really good. That's beautiful. I tried to teach my... Uh, daughter a poem a German poem wow yeah. and um, it's a bit late I should have should have done it 30 odd years ago when there was little but I'm starting on my grandkids yeah Helen your connection to country mm-hmm. I guess is, is what you've told me mm-hmm. is that something with the rough times because you are Helen probably one of the happiest brightest bubbly people I know with the hard times that you've gone through mm-hmm. 
Has your connection to country helped at all or the stories that you used to hear? Well, Al, I think um, with the connection to country, I think the biggest thing I got out of it is learning my language and also living on country, you know. I can proudly say that I've learned something that's, I believe, that makes me proud as an Indigenous person and also a mum. And I am teaching my grandkids at home at the moment um, head, shoulders, knees and toes in language. And I'd like to just give you a little understanding of it. Day God Walla Dimbi Dina Dinbi Dina. Day God Walla Dimbi Dina Dinbi Dina. Naya Mu Naya Bina Naya Muyu Naya Nai. Day God Walla Dimbi Dina Dimbi Dina. Now, in our final segment, we've been asking each of our guests if you were going to send a postcard from the Narrabri region, what photo would you put on the front of that postcard? What relates to me is the river, how important it is to us as Indigenous people. That's our livelihood and also the trees that, you know, belong in our areas. We have some marked trees, guard trees or whatever, but I think a, a poster of, of a river when it's running how important it is. And would you advise people to go down to the river? I would recommend it because, (laughs) you know, it's a relaxing. Like when you're there, your thoughts are on the noise of the river, you know, like it's, it's a place of significance. And like I said, relax, like it keeps you relaxed. I feel relaxed even when we go fishing, you know, like, it's so comforting to hear the birds singing and, the, you know, the water running and the, the fishing concentrating on a bite and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And and I'm very impatient. So, you know, fishing to me was, if it's not biting, I get up and go and do something else because I'm very impatient. But <laughs> the river, when they're biting the fish, it's a good place to spend the time. My mum, we used to, like, I like to share this little story about, Definitely about share the river. It. Us as a family, we'd, we'd go to a local fishing hole and we didn't have much. My mum just had like a bit of butter, flour. She was very handy with her hands. She'd um, mix up a bit of dough and whip a johnny cake or a damper up and just go go with the flow and, and nothing good like everybody reckon I'm the johnny cake queen but nothing's better than my mum's johnny cakes. And Bert, what photo do you think you'd put on a postcard from the Narrabri region? Um, cotton and a cotton picker with me driving it and a rooster flag on it. I'm guessing the roosters are your team. That's my team. And Bert, what do you love about being a farmer? The open spaces. It's so open, you, you're not, not stuck in a, in a room sitting behind a computer. A great way of life. Mm, yeah, it keeps you fit too. It does. Yeah, it's hard work. Helen and Bert, thank you both very much for sharing all those stories with us today. It was a really good chat. Thank you very much. Gabaninda. Thank Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Bush Wanderlust podcast. We hope to welcome you to the Narrabri region soon. And a big shout out to our sponsor, the Narrabri Region Visitor Information Centre. The team there has a treasure trove of knowledge about all things Narrabri from the pink slug to the yowie and more. 
They know all the hidden gems, so call in or head over to www.visitnarrabri.com.au to find out more or follow the Narrabri Region or Bush Wanderlust podcast on social media. Stay tuned for more podcast interviews and if you enjoyed listening today, please hit subscribe, leave a comment or share with a friend. Hope to catch you next time.